I'm Nicola. And I'm Gary. And welcome to episode 76 of Choose Film, a real retrospective podcast where we take a deep dive into a film chosen by our guest. Each season is a different theme and we're continuing on with this season's theme of change. Today we are joined by Stevie Douglas who has decided that this episode we will be taking a look at Alien. So Stevie, thank you so much for joining us mate, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you so much for inviting me along. (laughs) It's a pleasure having you on mate. Uh, Can you tell us a wee bit about yourself, what you do? My name is Stevie Douglas um, and I run a talent company called Scare Scotland. And what we do is we provide niche talent for the film, television and events industry, such as mostly scare attractions. So we have lots of unique actors who can do unique things, such as scare the crap out of people or (laughs) do something weird for film and television. (laughs) Nice. Nice. That's pretty much it. The the first thing, did you do something with the Glasgow Film Festival for like Blade? Right, that, that, yeah. was the Edim- that was the Edinburgh. A co- collaboration between the Edinburgh Film Festival, sadly no longer with us, and yeah. uh, a, a thing called Hidden Door. They had the movie on in the big screen, <laughs> and the, the, basically the movie had been brought to life. It was an interactive, interactive experience, so we had to time everything to that was happening on on the screen. And when the guy, when Blade punches the bouncer through the door, we had to time it, so the person who we had was dressed exactly the same as the bouncer, rolled through the door like he'd just been punched in the face by Blade. So good. I've seen a couple of your actors in action, actually. I I can't remember what it was for. One of the one of the, uh, the Scare Scotland actors was playing a, a kind of mythical creature. Origins of the Lure, that's what it's oh, called. Yeah. Aye. She was terrifying, man. Oh, my God. Rebecca Turner, she's one mm-hmm. of... Rebecca is uh, great. She's actually trained in a... A Japanese dance called is it Buto? Uh, called Buto. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. And um, because of that, she can get her sort of body into sort of uh, slight, quite strange shapes and mm-hmm. and stuff. So when she came, when she came to us with this skill, I was like, I'm, "We're having that," you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's excellent. You know, so she she is. Uh, yeah, she's very very good. It's the roar that she does. Um, yeah, well, that's the thing that we we that we teach them. Um, it's essentially uh, giving away some trade secrets here. <laughs> um, we we basically give our actors a singing lesson. Um, some of them can are already singing in bands and all that sort of stuff. But we sort of it's quite a difficult thing to sustain in a live sort of setting. Yeah. When we do a lot of sort of scare attractions, you get we get sort of people and they run around roaring and stuff. And ten minutes later, they can't even speak. You know, so we we sort of we've got a sort of an adapted singing lesson type thing that we do so the actor can uh, can sustain that over a over a full day because sometimes mm-hmm. in a scare attraction you're asked to do this for six seven hours you know My, i love scare acting that's the sort of stuff i do but i'm getting a bit old for it now, so. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you can um retire stevie and produce a book on it and that's just become can... a, a practitioner yeah <laughs> Adventures of a Scare Actor. Yeah. Oh, I'd read it. I would read it for sure. Yeah, it would be a, it'd be, it'd be a thick book. <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty wild sometimes. Most of the time they're pretty, they can be quite, mm-hmm. not a lot happens. And then when you do the job, you go home, you know. But it's just that one time, <laughs> you know, some, so you get some nutter through it, you know, and I know it, it just kicks off, you know. I'd like Over the years I've been bit, I've been spat on. I've been, bit? You know, yeah, guy, 
Ironically, in Alien, I was doing Alien War in Glasgow and a guy just mm. froze and I tried to get him to move and he bit me in the arm. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was the good guy. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I was the good guy. Yeah, I was the good oh. guy. I was trying to save his life from those nasty xenomorphs, you know. Oh, and um, he, he sunk his teeth right into my arm. I had to go and get a jag and everything. Oh, <laughs> yikes. Yikes. No, thank you. Speaking of scary alien stuff, why did you choose the film? Well, I can even tell you the date when I first saw it. It was the 12th of July, 1983. I was not here on this earth. <laughs> yeah, well, you need to give him my age away a bit there. You know, I, I was 12 years old. So there you are. Just give it away. Don't do the math. No. <laughs> I'm sure it was, a, it was a Thursday night and it came on ITV. And back in the day, again, getting old here, mm-hmm. you know, a big movie coming on the TV like that was an event, you know, and mm-hmm. the TV I, the TV shoot company or a BBC or whatever would really make a thing about it. Now there's nothing, you know, yeah. so many channels now. Remember, we only had four channels then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so a, a big blockbuster movie coming on TV was, was a thing, you know. And me, me and my mum, we always watched sort of horror movies anyway together. Me and my mum used to watch all the old Hammer stuff and all that together. Yeah. And then this night we were sitting watching it and it was about nine o'clock and my mum went and turned the lights off and she never did that. And uh, I was like, oh, what's going on here? You know, the, the sort of title screen came up and that movie st- has stuck with me ever since. Just everything about it, just when, you know, when when the, the titles come up, the 20th Century Fox thing came up and, you know, and even that was different and, mm-hmm. you know, they messed with that and, and then the title came up and you know, and I'd seen all the pre the, the stuff that ITV were putting up. They were putting bits of trailers up, you know, in space. No one will hear you screaming all this loud on ITV and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was the scariest two hours of my life. Scary in the sense where I was, mm-hmm. I was jaw dropped with everything that was going on. You know, and the thing about it is, it's a very slow movie. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's not action packed. It's but I just felt so drawn into this world. But un- but uncomfortable as well, you know. And and I remember when we got to the end of it, and 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 my mum was smiling at me when when I was watching because I was just sort of sitting going, because no, yeah. I've seen hundreds of horror movies, but nothing like this had ever resonated with me, like stuck with me like that. And I think it was like the, the sci because the sci fi element with the horror stuff in it, the claustrophobia, and you know, it seemed to me at the time that perfect film and I, I, went in, I remember getting into school the following day just raving about it mm. hey did you watch Alien last night oh man and all my friends in school were yeah it was great I, I, you know you see the big black thing walking about and all that it was like you know and I just and eventually I think they were just telling me to shut up <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that, that's when I when I first saw it and it's the movie mm. has stuck with me ever since it is though it's, it's such a staple on like the horror genre, the sci-fi genre, and in films all yeah, over. You know, the thing, the horror and sci-fi genre had been brought together, you know, in retrospect, you know, it had been brought together before that in various sort of films mm-hmm. and was mildly successful, you know, but in some cases it was totally off the wall. But mm-hmm. in this one, they got it right. Oh, yeah. You no, know, and, and they, they, they got it right and, they, you know, they, they got... They, they put they pulled the atmosphere of it together and it really really gelled. When before and other things had seemed like that, it didn't really. There was always something not didn't work. 
mm-hmm. you know, not but they weren't bad movies, but they were just sort of unsatisfying. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the difference with Alien was that everything just, you know, everything all stacked up into it. Ridley Scott, the director, seemed to sort of be, be on, he was on top of his game then, you know. I love yeah. how you say then, because he's made some unusual choices since. I mean, so he still puts out good stuff. Yeah, but... very, uh, mm-hmm. very nice there about him, I think. Yeah. yeah he's, aye, he's, uh, he seems to have lost his way a bit recently. Totally. But... Mm-hmm. You know, and I've, I've, some of his last few movies, he went, oh, come on, Ridley, you know. Including Prometheus and uh, Alien Covenant. Well, you know, Prometheus had a, a, a lot of good ideas. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Well, they were just badly executed. And mm-hmm. I think the main issue with Prometheus was the, the, the original script is actually out there online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read it. Yeah, and and for some reason he got, the, the person who wrote that script was, I thought that one was really good, and then he got, I can't remember the name of the guy. Is it Damien Lindoff? Write it. What? Lindoff, Damien... that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got him to rewrite it, and he it was him that put all the all the sort of bits that didn't make sense in it. Well, I, I with, with me personally, I think like the ideas in Prometheus, we're getting way off topic already, it's great. Um, <laughs> the ideas with Prometheus were great. The thing that gets me, and it's as if Ridley Scott can't, can't spot them, is Characters make stupid choices that yeah. we that you wouldn't make, and it's as if he needs someone like, like Ridley Scott now needs someone to go. They wouldn't do that, you know. Yeah. Like the, the bit always gets me is when the ship's rolling towards her and she doesn't run to the side, yeah, or just other or like the bit where like the kind of snake face huggerish thing comes out mm-hmm. of its capsule. You would you know they would go over and go here here like like it's a dog, yeah, you know, like it was a petting zoo, yeah. I think at that point, though, and you know, Ridley Scott has got to a point in his career. You know, he's probably close to retiring now, but he, well, I think people don't want to say no to him. Yeah, you know, because he's so powerful in Hollywood, and it's been not just the Alien, all the other stuff he's made, Gladiator and Blade Runner, and all these various things. But recently, I think he's because he he's at the position in his career where he can make or break something. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like there was supposed to be Alien Five with Neil Blomkamp, and he kiboshed it. Yeah, I thought Covenant Covenant was all right. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess I guess a shitty time, but it, mm-hmm. I thought it was all right. Again, a lot a lot of good ideas in it, maybe not explored the best. Again, just from a sheerly Alien fan point of view, yeah, it was supposed to be this new trilogy, and it sort of it was yeah. supposed to lead to you know that you've got the space jockey and from Alien and whatever, and it was supposed to lead to what that was all about and. Stuff and now that's not going to happen. No, so we're no. we're left sort of hanging, you know, and and so I, I understand there's a TV show in the in in the works just now. But yeah, I've seen. I mean, yeah. to be fair, they kind of reclaimed it as well. Obviously, this is very off topic, but they did reclaim with the uh, game because that petrified people. Isolation. Oh, the alien isolation. Oh, I remember. I'm still trying to finish it. <laughs> I'm at a bit where I can't. It's just too scary. Although it was a great game, mm. uh, it, it, no spoilers here. But again, another one that was left hanging. Uh, yeah. And again, think... it underperformed. But that was down to another game previous mm-hmm. before that, Alien Aliens Colonial Marines, which was yeah, mm-hmm. which, which is a podcast in its own. What happened with that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, I love the stealth of isolation and like the, the fear factor. Yeah, definitely. And with Alien Isolation as well, they carried they they they, they respected the story of Alien mm-hmm. totally. Yeah, they you brought know, it back to to Ripley. Yeah, 
And they, they put, you know, Amanda Ripley being Lieutenant, mm-hmm. Ellen Ripley's daughter, you know, because she, she's only mentioned in, Aliens. she's actually only mentioned in the director's cut of Aliens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they they were really respectful to that. And so she got her own, her own arc. Yeah. Amanda, Absolutely. and, you know, and they were respectful to Aliens where there's a lot of Easter eggs in the game to go around and we find recordings and of the of the original cast as well, you know. Who, yeah. Yeah. Apart from the guy who played Ash, he couldn't do it. I think he was too sick. I think I was a bit long winded there, but no, no, <laughs> no, 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 at all. What I would say as well on that note is just talking about the game and how the game is based on one deleted scene from mm-hmm. Aliens. Mm-hmm. What I love is the deleted scene from Alien where it like, you know, has Dallas all in like the the nest, um, is yeah, and I think that was great how that then gave the ideas, like the deleted scene from Alien gave the ideas for Alien. So it's like they are like taking bits of uh, not unreleased content, but at the time unreleased content and then uh, and, and doing stuff with it. You know, you know, it's 20th Century Fox, so they're going to sell you the same movie 40 times, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I'm one of the mugs that keep buying it. <laughs> Me too. They got Ridley Scott to do a director's cut. It's one of the few red, the director's cut that's actually shorter than the theatrical one. Yeah. He tightened a lot of the scenes up and stuff, and then he put mm. the egg morphing scene sort of back in. And I can see why he left it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, it, and I think it was a bit of fan service on that director's cut. But yeah. um, I quite liked it though. I quite liked. I liked it. it. I, liked I did it too. like it. You know, yeah. some of the scenes were, in, you know, so the, the, there's some slightly longer scenes. There's a bit where the alien comes through a door, which to me was always a bit long. Mm-hmm. And he, he he trimmed it to make the to make the he trimmed it to make the alien more threatening and it, oh it was yeah it was nice to see just little bits like that fan service I think and it was mm. just to sell a box set yeah yeah but I I don't know about about yours but when I so with my uh, DVD collection there is the choice what one to watch and I always just pick the director's cut same with Aliens. <laughs> oh, you can't watch Aliens without watching the the, the, the director's cut. Yeah, you, know? Right. you know that scene just for the sentry gun scene. Yeah. You know? yeah, But again, I can see why that was cut as well. Me too. You know, bringing it back to the OG for the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Stevie, what would you give it out of five? Alien of oh, five. <laughs> no brainer. <laughs> no brainer. Five. I'm I'm to- in total agreement with you. It's a five from me as well. Like. I, I wasn't allowed to see this film until, well, I sneakily watched it when I was probably about nine or ten. I think we watched it at a sleepover because my my mum, my dad's a big shite bag, he didn't see it in the cinema, my mum saw it in the cinema. Um, I was actually talking about it with my dad the other night and he was saying he was too scared to see it and just absolutely not. People were leaving the cinema crying, throwing up, like... It was petrifying, and I remember my mum telling me, "Like you can watch it when you're older; it's too scary for you." And I was petrified, like absolutely petrified. I'm a big shite bag anyway, but like I just remember the first time watching it, and I've I've said this on on previous podcasts as well, and I'll keep saying it: anticipation is the worst form of fear, and mm-hmm. this film does it so well. The creeping, I mean, we'll get into the positive points, but the creeping around the ship, the way they have designed the alien itself, the fact that it's a black monster that blends in to the surroundings and you can only really see the teeth, like, oh my god, yeah, a, a, a swift five out of five for 
many, many reasons. You know, the design of the creature is, you know, something that can't be forgotten, you know, and mm. it's, in horror movies, you know, sort of, again, that sci-fi, you know, B-movies and stuff, because Alien was a B-movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was made as a B movie, you know. It was it was just supposed to be a creature feature. But then they got Ridley Scott. Yeah. You know, and Ridley Scott was like, no, 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 no. Yeah, he saw something in it, you know. Mm-hmm. The big problem with Alien was the creature, you know, was how did, how, you know, how do you put something in there that's iconic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and there was various designs, you know, I've got various books and stuff in Alien, and I, Stevie, keep it, keep it for your point. Yeah, <laughs> so maybe you give it run away. <laughs> um, Gary, what were you giving it out of five? Well, I hate to be the borrow. No, I'm kidding. On it's it's a, it's a five out of five for me as well. Another um, another yeah. three. As, yeah, I as, think we're across the board in that one. Yeah. yeah, man. Like as a child, I did prefer Aliens and even Alien Three. Like as a kid. I think I seen them first, so when I went to finally watch the original, I found it a bit slow. But as an adult, this is like a tense, slow burn mystery, which I absolutely love. Like, and see when you watch it with someone who doesn't know the alien lore, and they're like, "What the hell is going on? How's what's going to happen here?" It's an even better experience for for myself. Um, yeah. And I watched this uh, for the podcast, but I watched it with Karen. Oh, she, she never seen me, it. Well, she told me she didn't even know the story of what it looked like. And I was like, oh okay. God. But she hates sci-fi, like can't stand it. I was like, just try it. And she said to me, without <laughs> me saying, she said to me, the reason that this film works is because it doesn't feel like a science fiction. The spaceship doesn't feel mm. like something out of Star Wars or something like that. It feels like relatable. So therefore it could it could have been set in a factory on Earth. That That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there. You know, the... It's realistic, you know. All right, mm-hmm. we're a couple of hundred years in the future, but that technology that's on that ship on the Nostromo is it's it's workable. There's no there's there's not laser beams flying around all over the place, and mm-hmm. you know that, that and that's certainly a big point. Yeah, yeah, I can agree with you more there. Yeah, I'm glad we are an agreeance, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, for our listeners at home, here's a little synopsis about the film. In deep space, the crew of the commercial starship Nostromo is awakened from their cryosleep capsules halfway through their journey home to investigate a distress call from an alien vessel. The terror begins when the crew encounter a nest of eggs inside the alien ship. An organism from inside an egg leaps out and attaches itself to one of the crew. The xenomorph alien subsequently wreaks terror and havoc on the ship's inhabitants as they attempt to survive and make it back home alive. Some of you may have figured out we're not home yet. Only halfway there. Mother's interrupted the course of our journey. Why? She's programmed to do that should certain conditions arise. They have. Like what? Seems she has intercepted a transmission of unknown origin. She got us up to check it out. What kind of a transmission? Acoustical beacon that uh, repeats at intervals of 12 seconds. SOS. I don't know. Human. Unknown. Can't see a goddamn thing. Ash, can you see this? I've never seen anything like it. It doesn't look like an SOS. 
It looks like a warning. Yeah, um, if you two don't mind, I'll I'll kick us off. Go for it. Um, so, I think such a staple of this film is the practical effects and and everything involved in that. I, I did a wee bit of research, and I, I hope I'm right here. It didn't have any CGI in it at all. It was all, all practical effects. It was um, achieved using miniatures, puppets, costumes, and optical composite, com, compositing? Yes, along with sets and matte paintings. Um, and I think that just makes the ship feel so authentic. Like what you were saying, Stevie, like... It makes it feel real. It makes it feel like you're in this, like, just really claustrophobic, tight place. And I love that as well that it was the built set. It wasn't sound stages and they moved from, like, set to set. It was the built set. And I think that in itself really, really enhanced acting performances. Because, speaking from an actor's point of view, when you're physically in your circumstances you it's so much easier to connect but i mean just the 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 practical effects for this were incredible and i mean watching it in 2022 you know i'm not doing the math however many years later than when it came out and the bits where they're using the puppets for the for the spaceship flying i still i think it stands the test of time i don't think it looks crappy um like, see, there's a bit where it's a, a shot um, on, like, the back of the ship and it's the uh, the engines kind of starting up and the light from the engines. And I was like, that just looks wonderful. It really does. It does. It looks incredible. It does. Just the, the, the whole inside of the ship. I love that first half. I can't even remember how many minutes it is, but the very beginning of the film where the ship is coming to life. Yeah. All the clicking yeah. I don't think there's a word said for six minutes in this film. Just, just the, the, the sound of everything, like, you know, turning, turning on, on, like the, the lights, lights coming up. up. You're, You're already, already mes- mesmerised. There's a nice little touch that Ridley Scott does. You know, you see a helmet on top of a mm-hmm. on top of something and the computer in front of that helmet I know comes exactly to life shot, yeah. and it goes on and it's like they're talking to each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like there's dialogue going on between the computer and the helmet and it's mm-hmm. Yeah. as the computer as the ship comes to life you know it's you know almost what? as if the ship is an actual well like for want of a better word an actor you know they they are a physical character in this story well especially with the ai like the mother um supposedly as well for like the the grate of like the nostromo like what the walk on it's like that iron type grate um mm-hmm. supposedly that was basically do you know like I think I'm getting this right. Like you get the thing to hold like your bread baskets, like you know where they take deliveries in. It oh, was yes. that. Yeah, yeah. It was like lots of them turned upside down and spray painted, oh, and it was just we're just talking about the idea of it being like a B movie, a B monster movie, but just with that added wee bit. The other part like that where we're talking about like the practical effects when the the face huggers in the oh. the egg yeah. and it's moving. That's just like Ridley Scott's hand wedged up it. Actually, if you look closely, given the sort of he's more than the director's cut because he messed with the eggs a little bit, mm. you can actually see his hands. It's, it's Ridley Scott's hands doing that. Yeah. This comment will, is the staple of this film. See when that chest bursting scene happens. I am so pleased that they used the practical effects for it, and and when Ash dies as well. Spoiler. 
<laughs> how they did that, I think it's so clever. Like with the chest burst thing, all authentic reactions, obviously because um he hadn't Ridley Scott hadn't told the cast what was going to happen. Yeah. But I think enhanced completely by the fact that it was all practical, that it that none of it was was done in post, that the thing actually ripped out of John Hurt's chest. I can just imagine how terrifying that would have been. And you see it. You that's not acting, you see it on their faces. Yeah. You know? See on and, that scene as well, sorry, and this has kind of to do with the acting, but that scene and just before it happens, I love watching this film and just keeping an eye mm-hmm. on Ash. Yeah. And his reactions because he's it's so subtle, but he's like so just as like John Hurt starts coughing, Ash is like, hmm, yeah. what's going on here? But mm-hmm. he's not really got any fear or worry for um for Kane. He's just sitting watching, going, This is interesting, yes. Because yeah. obviously he knows it all, which is just yeah. great. Uh, or mm-hmm. collating as yes. a, as mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Collating. collating the information for the company, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is where filmmakers really get to to, to stretch their skills and and having a team behind you with such creative outlook on things i cannot believe they used spaghetti for ash's insides yeah. like genius absolutely genius and i saw um they'd filmed like different parts of it because they were using uh, i think they used milk and water at first and it was more diluted but they had to switch for kind of more close-up shot shots because the milk started to curdle under the lights. Um, oh, but imagine the smell. Oh, <laughs> no. What a treat to, to, to be able to use that kind of practical level of, of effect instead of just relying on something in post. But I, I think having a smaller budget, like, as indie filmmakers ourselves, like, we know that, like, having a smaller budget makes you more creative. As a, It has to. Like, as a as a solo filmmaker or as a team working together like it's mm. like this is what we're trying to achieve how we do it how do we do it throw ideas at us now you know mm. and stuff like spaghetti and milk and that just it just works um yeah. same with like even finding out that to get the alien and the egg he's like i'm just going to stick my hand up it with a marigold glove and see what happens <laughs> you know <laughs> and it works I suppose it's a, it brings back, you know, when you're, you you hear these sort of big budget, you know, a 200 million avatar, you know, and all that freaking rubbish, you know, and it's taken for granted. You go, yeah, just go and get that. Yeah, Dana, you know, yeah, there, here, there's, there's 500. There's, go and, go and get what you need, you know. But when you're in that small, small niche where you don't have a lot of money, you, you have to be mega creative. Mm-hmm. You have to find what's lying around. You have to use what you have, you know. Yeah, well, it's like it's interesting you say that because if you look at like Ridley Scott when he's got more of a budget, his films seem well to me personally like weaker, and even with like someone like James Cameron as well, like Aliens, Terminator One and Two, like yeah, bigger budgets than like the first films, but at the same time still working within a restraint. Now that you know someone like Ridley Scott or James Cameron can be basically handed anything they want. Like there's just it's not got the same feel to it. it. Doesn't feel like it's as if their heart's not in it as much because they can just go and borrow another million or whatever else. I don't think James Cameron he's in a similar position as Ridley Scott. I don't think he's made a decent movie. He hasn't made a movie in years, but he, he's stuck in this Avatar stuff, and it's yeah. like you say, he just he names his price, you know, and you know anybody wants to just three hundred million 
movie about blue smurfs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, what I will say, just going, just going back to um, the sets and stuff like that, because that's kind of part of my first point anyway, is um, that part where they go down into the alien ship and there's mm -hmm. that blue light across the eggs, okay. so that mist. Um, supposedly there was a band shooting a music video next the door. Who? Was it The Who? Yeah. The it was actually it's actually their stage lights. They were rehearsing for a, their tour, right? In the, the the sound stage next door, and um, they had no money, obviously, and they <laughs> they wanted to make this look better, and they went and borrowed the stage lights off of, off of the Who and just put smoke through it. And that was it. That's how they got that, and it looks it looks so good as well. <laughs> but yeah, my my first kind of point is about kind of a mix. It's about the characters, the set, and the costume, and how it makes it all feel that that much more real like we were discussing earlier so um because i think all of this makes a film set in space that much more relatable so like the characters seem so normal as well like they're so relatable they're dressed in everyday clothes that we would like dress in which but they've got wee bits of like maybe a badge here or like a button here something that gives them personality you know so it's, they're not all dressed identical to each other um, I suppose it's the it's the blue collar thing, isn't it? And you know, everybody used to call it sort of it was the thing goes around about alien or truckers in space sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, totally. They're, they're they're normal, relatable people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they complain about their wages. They complain about their jobs. They argue with their co-workers. All just, that. Just, just really quickly, uh, can we discuss the bonus situation about this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Then also the stuff at uh, Nicholas talked about. Then there's a set design. Everything on that ship feels relatable as well. The canteen looks like a canteen. The corridors mm -hmm. look industrial, like a factory or an oil rig or something like that. Even the exterior of the ship, it's kind of odd looking. It's there's nothing slick about it. It doesn't feel like a nice place to work, but it feels like a relatable place to work. <laughs> you know, and I think that's what. And then because of all that is relatable, like even though they're in space there's something so normal about it. So then when we finally see the alien ship, that seems so much more foreign. Mm -hmm. You know, make it, making our human ship look like something we would create and build and then seeing this other ship look totally different, I think that it just works so well. Um, which again is all down, well not all, but I think we should speak a wee bit about HR Giger, unless that's one of your points anyway. Um, it's, yeah. <laughs> I'll okay, leave that I mean, later, I mean, but you can... no, no, it's okay. You can do it, and I'll well, just, touch on just, it later. Just kind of the stuff that, like about that, like he's managing to create these two different worlds that start to collide, you know, into each other. Um, and I don't know if any of you noticed this. I only noticed it this time around. But see, once the alien is a like on board the Nostromo, mm -hmm. it seems to start getting a lot more wet and gooey, and it's like. That, that's what I mean with like the world is colliding. You've got this really metallic, cold, Earth-like ship that suddenly starts to go wet and moist and gooey and a bit, just a bit of everything. Like, mm -hmm. uh, including that scene with um, the one that goes after Jonesy, Brett, Brett. Yeah, Brett. Yeah. So um, that scene where like the water's coming down in him, like I like that idea. It's like yeah, once the ship, but. There's, Steve will probably know this anyway, but the producers were like, why is, why is it raining on a ship in space? That makes absolutely no sense. And he just knew 
that it just looked cool and he was like, yeah, it's just the, the moistness in the air, that's what's causing it. Like, <laughs> that, that, that did get explained. That did get explained. It was water recycling. Oh, was it explained in the film? It's, expl- it's, ex- it's explained in a sort of an interview that I saw. Mm. And uh, he was asked about it. And he said it's actually a practical thing. It's recycling the water on, on the on the ship. I like that idea. I'll take and that. It's, it's just it's, it's turned into sort of steam sent up, and it just rains down, and it just recycles constantly. Yeah, that's, that's really clever, actually. That sounds plausible to me. Yeah. 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 So it was so thought thought through because it, although it looks cool when Brett's looking up and he mm. takes his hat yeah. off and the water goes over him and he's giving himself a face wash while he's looking for Jonesy. Yeah. And uh, you know, and it's actually the first time that you see the alien as well. Totally. Yeah. I, and, um, I and wonder if that scene was trimmed in a director's cut because for the first time in a while, I watched the original cut because it was on Disney Plus, and I just mm-hmm. had it on rather than get the DVD out. And that scene where he's washing his face seemed to go on for ages. And I just wonder if it's because I'm used to the directors and then maybe it's had a slight trim. I think he did. I think you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did mess with that. I don't think he was ever totally satisfied with it, Ridley Scott. Yeah. So I think he he, he he had a mess with it. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. That, that makes sense, actually. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but no, that was just my, my thing was just like how everything is so relatable until the, sh- the alien appears on that ship. And then, like, as it's like these two different like creatures colliding, like, you know, but also the sets colliding and stuff like that as well. Which, if they kept in that that scene at the cutout with um with Dallas, like, you know, or yeah. in the nest, it would have even added to that more, like, that whole thing. Like, it's actually taking over a whole compartment of the ship, which it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's residue, shall we say. <laughs> it's, it's, it's became quite mythical, that, that bit. You know, because if it was left in the original theatrical cut, it would have been sequels would have been very different. Yeah, yeah. Mm, definitely. You know, and how the sort of life cycle of the alien evolves. Totally. But I I kind of like watching like so I love like just watching through them all, and I like the idea of watching a director's cut because the way I take it with the xenomorph there is, yes, there's no queen to lay the eggs, but it it's based on instinct. It's still doing what it would do in case the queen arrives or whatever. Like I kind of like. That was the Queen thing was was created by Cameron. It was that's what I mean. So like when I'm watching them chronologically now, I, I can still believe that this creature is just doing its habit. You know, like watching them all as one big story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a total instinctual thing. You know, where 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 Cameron brought in the sort of you know the the the, the ant hive mentality and you know and it's all controlled by one Queen and all that sort of stuff. When you didn't have any of that in the original, yeah. you know, as much as I enjoy that. You know, there were there there was a bit of sort of mystery of what what it what its motivation is. Yeah. You know, you don't find what its motivation is till later on. You know, in an alien when an aliens it's it's when you when they eventually find what's going on with the hive and all that is, and if it's all sort of explored a bit more. And I, I like the, the, that that direction, but uh, yeah, but I, I know Ridley Scott had nothing to do with any of that. None yeah. of that was. And any, any of his thoughts, you know. Um, sometimes less is more, isn't it? Which is what we get with this, yeah. Um, Stevie, what's your first point? My first point is the atmosphere. I love the claustrophobic side of it. Yeah. You know, and when you sit and watch it, you, you feel that you're in there. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you know, just some of the shots that they have of the camera going up some of the corridors of the Nostromo. You know, there doesn't necessarily need to be an actor. You know, but it's just setting the whole thing that you pulling you into the pulling you into the ship. Yeah. 
and you feel that you're walking around in it. You know, and just sometimes the camera will stop and tilt a little bit and just let you see a detail. You know, as you would do when you were walking. If you're walking yeah. down somewhere you haven't been before, you'll stop and have a look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. You know, and then you'll move on and then you'll say, oh, there's a thing over there I've never seen before, you know. And I, f- I feel the, the in the atmosphere of it and you can feel that you're, the tension in the air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know when you when you're when you're walking it, it's I really can't expand on that anymore. But I think what helps with that as well, especially when they go off the ship when they're when they're on the planet and they're walking to the distress call, and there's the wind howling and like it's just like you know the the fog and the mist. But I think mm-hmm. what adds more to the atmosphere is when it goes to their like their head cameras, mm-hmm. and it's so grainy. Yeah, yeah. and again, you because you're looking for stuff, you're like. Can, can I spot anything through that mist mm-hmm. or whatever? And because the video footage is so bad, like it adds to it. And this is, I know I'm going off a wee bit on a tangent again, <laughs> but what I will say is that's one of the things that really pissed me off about Prometheus, which was set before it, is all the all their suits are so high tech compared to it. Yeah. There's nothing. There's nothing gritty. There's not, and it just makes no like. And the fact yeah. that it's the same director. It's the same director, so he's making his own original film look shitter. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, I thought that they should have had the same suits. It should be, or even be less technically advanced. Yeah, yeah, totally. But yeah, the atmosphere, like through those cameras and stuff like that, in the original, just there's just something about it. It's like watching found footage, isn't it? Yes. I oh, I don't need to mention it. I definitely. I mean, like, I I kind of clocked it and I and I read a bit about it as well. See the design that they had for the ship was obviously to make it feel like it was alive, but see the noises in the ship. See, see from the very moment the opening credits come on and there's that hum, that hum of life in the ship. And it's just the, the, the sound adds to the atmosphere, like the wind kind of going through the ship, the hum, the little kind of beeps that sound like heartbeats. It, heartbeats, heartbeats, you know, there's so much that makes this this feel alive. Even what what builds on that atmosphere as well that you're talking about is, um, once the face hugger has left Kane's face and they all go into the room to look for it, they don't use music. Oh, you know no, the fact that's... that it's all still. It's and, so scary. Like less is more again for that. It's like don't let's not have music in it because it, like, even when it falls, I don't think it, they, put yeah. in a, they don't put in a sting or anything. It's just no. Ripley's scream. Yeah, and you're like, oh yeah bastard you know so, that's yeah. that's it again what is scarier the actual act or the anticipation of the act just to back up your point your point there nicola when i do the scare stuff <clears throat> the live scare stuff i'm very influenced by alien from that because i'm the less is more type guy you know yeah. we've all went through haunted houses and all that scare stuff and, and anybody who knows me knows I, I tend to try and push the push the barriers on on scare stuff and I always ask one question to when I'm training up actors to do this. What's the scariest thing in the world? So I'll ask you two guys that. What's the scariest thing in the world? The anticipation of something scary. Yeah. <laughs> Your imagination. Mm-hmm. You know, the yeah. only thing, because you know what scares you. Oh, it's yeah. like sitting sitting in a house alone at night and going, yeah, I'm going to go to my bed. And then you hear a little creak and it's like, what's going to kill me? Yep. When your head, when you're, the wheels are turning in your head, that's what's scaring you, you know. Mm-hmm. And Alien does that very well, you know. Yeah, the, the, the Jaws effect, I suppose. You know, totally. We know why they, you know, we know why they didn't use the, the shark so much because it looked like shit when it came on the screen, you know. And obviously, it couldn't work. And Alien does that by underusing 
the, the alien itself, you know. Yeah. Well, supposedly the, the pitch line that they used for Alien was Jaws in space. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. it, the, and it works perfectly, you know. I, I mean, I think <laughs> after the success of Jaws, when some, like, you know, that producer's sitting there with a bundle of money, they're like, that in space. Okay, yeah, I can see that working. What did yeah. you find scarier, just out of interest, Jaws or Alien? I would say Alien. I love Jaws. Again, uh, Jaws got it right with the tension, you know? Yeah. yeah. I found um, Jaws a wee bit scarier because I'm like, yes, a shark could eat me. <laughs> yeah, true, uh, yeah. If if it's cool, I'm going to uh, go on into my second point, but it, it kind of ties to what you said, Stevie. So mine is the camera work. I adore the camera work in this film because like the very the, the opening of it now i had to I, I looked it up because i was like have they shot this on steady cam because of of the way it moves i was like that surely this is steady cam and it's not it's all dollies and it's handheld and i just thought that's incredible that dop must have some very stable hands <laughs> no that that whole opening i just I love it. I love the, the the way it moves around the ship. I love that the audience feels like they're a character because of the way the camera moves. It's it, the first part of the film where we finally come to the door of the um, the cryopods where they're all asleep mm-hmm. and they're just about to wake up. See that push in? It's just beautiful. And the door opens and it pushes in even further and it's just it's on a dolly and it's just so seamless and it just even that anticipation of just that movement is wonderful again the camera work where you know with the aliens about to be seen for the first time and you're in so close it's down to first time watching but the first time you watch it you actually see it in the background but because you've not seen it before you don't realize that you're seeing it mm-hmm. and i mm-hmm. kind of love that and it's not until it starts to move like out of focus you're like oh there's something moving there and then obviously it's, it's revealed with the teeth in that, like you say. Mm-hmm. The DOP's vision for this, as well as the director's vision, is just stunning. And I love that they used such accessible, like, again, coming back to like that B-movie kind of feel, techniques. It was not like we're going to splurge on, on, you know, like big cranes and this and that. It's very intimate feeling. For me, I felt like a kind of a third character, if you will, in it. I think as well with that, what helps is it's not got any real fast-paced cutting. You know, the camera, it it adds to that atmosphere and that sense of dread because the camera doesn't, it doesn't cut fast, it lingers. Sometimes it lingers a a little too long where you're like, am I supposed to be seeing something? It makes you ponder. Like that shot I was saying about Ash, it cuts to Ash when everybody else is kind of like scurrying about when Kane is starting to like convulse and it just lingers that wee bit on ash for that Mm. wee bit too long that you're like what's he up to Mm. you know things like that as well i think that's really scott giving little clues there Mm -hmm. something's amiss with him yeah it's nice that the way it happens though because like like with the previous episode of the podcast we've just done for everything everywhere all at once i was saying i love how there's inclusion of little bits of exposition without actually saying what's happening like i love that they don't spoon feed their audience they give the audience the opportunity to go "Mm, something's not right here that's lingered on him too long or you know am i am i meant to be seeing something again feeding into that anticipation of 
is there something there is there not and obviously we have the the luxury now of being able to fast forward and rewind etc but in an actual cinema experience back in the day i can't believe i've used that sentence back in the day (laughs) (laughs) i can imagine karen actually guessed that uh, she was going to be a robot and I was very because she says it, and it's probably the subtle hint, uh, the subtle hints that we're talking about, because the first thing she says is, he speaks very official. That's very, what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, like very matter of a fact, very cold, mm-hmm. um, and there was something else that gave it away, as well. Or maybe it was like he didn't have much emotion with stuff. He's also very much an outcast, isn't he? Like you look at the interaction that they have at the very start, where he's sitting in. Oh God, what's his name? Uh, Parker. And even going back to that, why he's an outcast is because he was a crew replacement. He That's was right. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, of course he was. Again, it's, it's it's sort of one of these things that gets missed in the sort of because he, he was actually re- he was taken out and replaced. So obviously he's been put, you know, with with the sort of mm-hmm. company of two hundred three seven and all that. He was put into exercise that to make yeah. that happen. And he, the the crew member was taken out, and he was replaced last minute. So mm. he he was before the Nostromo went to where it was to go, which is never named, you know. But he, but he, yeah. So there was always going to be the outcast bit there anyway. So he wasn't part of that team. Yeah, the only, the only bit I would say that this isn't kind of like a, a positive point, but it's a little note really. On the second watch, though, you can definitely notice. On the first note, watch, though, you can kind of notice that Ash is this kind of more cold clinical robotic kind of character the only bit that ruined it for me and sucked me out of that which is such a shame because it's wonderful is the chestburster scene because obviously they were not notified as to what is happening you see his face and he's petrified mm. the actor is petrified and that that's a break of character yeah because i don't know no i don't agree with you there because he was put in there to act as human they didn't know, so mm. he would have been program. He knew if you want to sort of look into it. He, he Willie Newtani as knew more mm-hmm. than what they were saying. This was made. This was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. They, they they wanted because they couldn't bring him back with it in him. They had to isolate it. They isolate the thing in some way. Mm-hmm. So Ash was there to make that happen, and he's programmed to act human. He was programmed to and. Again, this is where you can maybe go on to aliens here, where the bishop character, when yeah. they're sitting talking about what happened on the Nostromo, and yeah. when they when they're on when they're on the Salaco, mm-hmm. and uh, they were, and the bit when when she sort of freaks out when she finds out bishop's an android, mm-hmm. you know, and they start talking about the model numbers. Yeah, yeah. yeah the bishop right. goes mentions his model numbers. Says, yeah, they always were a bit twitchy. Mm-hmm. You know, so he, he, yeah. he was a very early version of of mm-hmm. the android with with flaws. So mm-hmm. he would have been programmed to be human, and yeah. that reaction would have been not altogether successful. I think and that's just my take on it. You know, yeah. There's a part in it where they're looking at the facehugger and Ripley's like, "Oh, we need to get rid of it," and she's like, "This thing bled acid when it was alive. What's it going to do when it dies?" And he just turns around and he's like, "Well, I don't think it's going to come back as a zombie. That's for sure." But nobody reacts to it because yeah. it's he said it, and maybe that's another part where he's trying to like crack a few jokes as yeah. an android, you know. There's yeah. a part in um, to go off topic quickly, Terminator Two, where Arnold Schwarzenegger pulls 
kind of the hatch on the chains to reveal yeah. the the all the guns under the desert. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's a bit where he his face strains because obviously it weighed too much for the human being, mm-hmm. and everybody complains about that because a robot wouldn't have had any strain in his face as he pulled. Mm-hmm. And there's people trying to defend that as well, um, saying that well, no, he, he's to blend in, so he's going to have these facial expressions. It's like, <laughs> it was too tough for him. I do, I do agree what you've said, Stevie. Like, I think obviously trying to portray as a human, I just think in that moment, like obviously because we know none of them were told what was going to happen, and it's such an extreme reaction. Like you can see, like that's it, for all of them. It was, although they were kind of, they were in character, it is a kind of character breaking moment because the actors were petrified. That's yeah. the only little, the only little gripe I've got with it is just because, and then um, the, the kind of shot after that is just Ash with like his mouth kind of open, like looking terrified. I feel like that's a bit more on par for uh for a, what do you call it? Droid or... I'm now picturing like Ash's inner workings and like that <laughs> the chest buster happens and a voice in his head is like, act scared now, act scared now. And he's like, oh! <laughs> the spaghetti's just fucking moving all about. <laughs> oh, man. I, yeah. Just when we're talking about uh, being afraid and scared, that takes me on to my second point, which is a bit about the design of the alien and how part of the idea was making like men afraid of sex. And I don't know if you've kind of heard about this. And so no. so let's start with like the face hugger. So obviously like in films growing up and all that, it's always like the guy having sex and scoring and that and that was always like part of it, like in the seventies and in the eighties. So the whole idea was let's make a creature that could put the fear into into men in regarding sex. So if we look at the face hugger to begin with uh, in this film alone, um, it attaches to the male's face, so Kane, John Hurt, and it sticks a long tube down his throat, um, and then it leaves an embryo in his stomach, and he's now basically carrying a child, like he's pregnant with a child. He then gives birth to the alien, and when that happens, giving birth to the alien it actually kills him, and then it's shaped like a penis. Let's be honest, like there's a whole penis idea behind it. Then is it gr- gr- it's a very it's very sexualized, you know. The whole film is like as well, and oh, then yeah. uh, then as it grows and becomes bigger, it's the alien the xenomorph's head is very much like a penis shaped head as well. And if you look at some of H.R. Giggles' drawings of it, a lot mm-hmm. of his artwork is very like it's like mechanics and sex together. It's like this steampunk biomechanical they call it. Yeah, and then even the part where the 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 crew find the entry to the alien spaceship. That looks very much like a vagina as well. Uh, when Ash tries to kill um, Ripley, mm-hmm. um, yeah. he rolls yeah. up like the magazine and attempts to like stick it down her throat the same way Kane was first attacked as well. Mm-hmm. And while that's happening, if you look at the the bedroom that they're in, it's covered in like porn magazines and posters and that around it as well. So, so the magazine itself was a porn mag. Was it as well, yeah? Yeah. So I think it's quite it's quite interesting, all these kind of sexualised elements through it. And there was a few other things on it, but I can't remember. It's kind of, it's left me now. But, and I guess even, like, we've spoke about the insides of even the Android is kind of this, like, milky white fluids <laughs> as well that goes everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of sexualised references in, in this film, which are even the, the top of the egg... Like as it opens, 
that was first designed to look like a vagina. Mm-hmm. And then they changed it. And while they were looking, they were wondering how to change it. Someone was eating supposedly a hot cross bun. And that's where the X kind of comes from <laughs> on it, which I yeah. just love as well. I always thought it was designed after, um, what do you call them? It's not a, it's like, it's like a lily pad that, that you know, the way that they open. Yeah. 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 Or like the fly catcher. Venus flytrap. Yeah. Kind of idea as well. Yeah. yeah. The egg's amazing. I love the egg in it as well. Oh, absolutely. It's not, it's not something I noticed at first, first I'll be honest. honest. But now, but now that you've said it, I'm like, actually, yes, there's a lot of reference to it. And I wonder what, what purpose do you think it serves? Well, if you look at like something like Halloween, right? Because I get annoyed um, with the term heightened genre films, like heightened horror. So something like Midsummer is known as like heightened or hereditary. Mm. And I love these films, I do. But I hate the fact that they're called heightened horror because most horror films have a message. So like Halloween was um, don't have sex before marriage. You know, all these babysitters going about, sleeping about, they get chopped up. So it's like dangers of sex. And... There was quite a lot of that in the slasher horrors, and I think this was like, we're going to design a creature here. It's always, usually in horror films, it was almost against the female. The females have sex, they die. Uh, that's why it was always the last girl standing. She didn't have sex, she was a virgin. And I think this went, let's flip it on its head, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, let's make the males kind of afraid. I don't think it was anything against males. I think it was, let's do something a wee bit different here. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it, it, some people, it, you know, I've, I've seen it named as, as male rape. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a horrible term, you know, for anybody. But uh, yeah, that's the, that's the fear they were trying Going to instill there—the the fear of male rape. Because mm-hmm. by the end, because it kind of annoys me a wee bit, right? And I kind of agree and disagree. But there's a, the scene in it where Lambert gets killed, right? Yeah. Um, and the, you just see the tail going up, kind of between her legs. And you can you can kind of guess at that. Now that's fine. The camera cuts away, but when Ripley comes back in, and you see in the foreground, you see Parker lying there dead, and in the background, you see Lambert's feet, but she's barefoot, mm-hmm. and that doesn't really make sense. But I think it, mm-hmm. and supposedly, um, it was supposed to say that it was Lambert, and maybe that was kind of like a, a rape thing from the alien. Um, I don't know, I don't know. But then everybody was like, well, like, why, when it comes to the female, does it have to be a sexual thing? I'm Mm -hmm. like, these are missing the point. The whole film is, like, got sexual references through it. Like, like the first guy who gets attacked is with something lobbed down his throat in a very sexualised way, you know, uh, and he can't breathe. And then there's something quite sexual as well about the fact that the alien's mouth opens and another penis type mouth shoots out you know as well like yeah. there's so much in it but yeah that, that i think with that part of the end with lambert there's just something a bit confusing and all that yeah that's probably one of the one of the uh, if there's a major flaw there it's, it's probably that mm-hmm. no that mm-hmm. and the thing is it's probably a rookie mistake from ridley scott because if it <clears throat> excuse me if it was a continuity continuity error it, it, ridley scott's not exactly known for continuity he's known yeah. for you know, he's known for his detail, you know, and his, mm. and his attention to that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, maybe just something, because, he, he, you know, he edited himself, so, mm-hmm. you know, he, yeah. he, was, he wasn't, that wasn't passed over. He's, he, you know, he'd final cut on it and everything, you know. 
The other, the other thing is that maybe there's like a scene removed or take like as well, which makes it make yeah. more sense. Or, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. well, that was one of the scenes he messed with on the he, he, he messed with on the director's cut. Right. Oh, well, yeah. I only watched it recently on, as I said, the original cut. So I'd be interested right. to go back and have a look at that scene again. Then, mm-hmm. right. It's it's been it's been messed around with. It's been recut a little bit on the director's cut. Um, where you see more of the alien moving towards her, yeah. You know when you 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 know, and you know the bit where the bit where the alien rises up to tower over the top of her, and mm-hmm. you sort of see her like that. That sort of that's lengthened a little bit, and yeah. you see more of the because it's the you see more of the alien in its full form. One thing it did annoy me in the original one watching it this time because I'm sure the director's cut is different. When the, the creature takes Brett up into the the, the shafts, mm-hmm. um. And the director's got, I'm sure, Ripley and Parker kind of run in and catch the tail end of it happening. Well, in the original... Yeah, I can't in, remember. Because in the next one, in the original, in the next scene, Brett, eh, sorry, Parker's talking about how huge it is. But they never seen it. Yeah, yeah. Aye, aye, so, you mention it. <laughs> it doesn't, but I'm sure they, in the director's cut, there's just, they run in kind of just at the tail end and just look up mm-hmm. and see something moving. Yeah, yeah very true. Because the blood drips down and, aye, yeah, yeah, you're correct, aye. Mm-hmm. Mm. I've actually never thought about that. (laughs) (laughs) She'll learn something new every day. (laughs) Maybe that point I was just so freaking terrified that I didn't care. Yeah, because he's so adamant. I think he says something like, "Like this, this son of a bitch is huge," or something like that. He's very yeah, yeah. I'm like, how do you know? (laughs) Tell tell us, Parker. What (laughs) would you like to share? Something? No, I was just gonna say, Stevie, have you got a a second point that you'd like to? Second one is. The, the characters, the acting in the characters. It's like, again, we've sort of touched on it already, but uh, everybody in it is relatable in some form. Everybody who watches that movie can relate to someone in it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can identify with one, with one of the characters in it. You know, we see a lot of ourselves in our adult lives, working lives, in them. And obviously, then the performances for the actors are just. They seem so all effortless, yeah. You know, and natural, especially and John Hurt. Especially oh, yeah. John Hurt, yeah. And again, he was brought in last minute. He was he was a replacement actor because the original guy who played that character took ill. Yeah, I did not brought, know that. Yeah, what an he, excellent choice. Yeah, they they got him in, and uh, he was he basically he was, I think he was on set like first day of shooting. He had no rehearsal or anything. You know, no, so shows you the quality of the actor John Hurt was, you know. Oh, yeah. Where he come in and just kneels the character, you know, mm-hmm. with little preparation. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of the guy he replaced, but the fella took really ill on set. and Yeah, he had pneumonia, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple of pictures of the original actor sort of knocking around in sort of the, the, in, in the, the uniform and all that sort of stuff, but I, I really can't remember his name. Uh, yeah, the actor, the actor is incredible in the conflict amongst the actors. There's, there's tension. You know, they're friends, but they're, 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 they're disagreements in, in, there's disagreements among them. And it's all done in a very sort of subtle way. You know, when they're sitting down and, they, you know, there's like two factions. You know, you've, you've got Parker and Brett, who are the engineers, you know, who feel hard done by. You know, yeah. when they come in and they, the first thing you know, when they're sitting talk about the bonus situation, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then they get reassured they'll get, you know, you'll get what you're entitled to like everybody else. And, right. And it creates the whole sort of conflict between them all and it's all done in that a nice, friendly fuck you way. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Friendly, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, they maybe, the rest of the crew maybe sort of look down on them a little bit because they are grunts mm-hmm. in a sense, you know? My my point's kind of the same one, Stevie, so I'll jump in with that as well because, like, I, I named my uh, last point, stick it to the man and society, class and expectations as well because um, there is this workers versus the company idea through it you know this lower class versus the upper class um and you can you can see it within the crew you've got like the pilots and the captains who are like cozy listening to their classical music and things like that and uh, their pit and then you've got the blue collar workers parker and brett who just want their fair share you know they just want their better wages and bonuses but you can even take it further to like when it's the company versus the staff, and we find out they're all actually expendable as well. Create expendable um, as well. So, no, you're, you're totally right in that. And, like, just on that note, I mean, my notes basically say everything that you've said there, but even, like, sticking it to the man, what I found interesting was, like, the making of the film as well. So, like, everyone thought that Dallas was going to be the hero you know the big white guy with the beard that were protagonist played by tom skerritt he's the captain of the ship as well he's the one that's got the flamethrower and he's going to go into the air ducks and hunt the creature so nobody expected ripley to be the last man standing and obviously i'm saying man because she's female but what's great is all the characters were written genderless so it all came down to casting rather than we're going to cast a woman in this and a guy in this part that's why they've all got interesting names it could be male or female you know Ripley, Parker, Dallas, Lambert, Kane like it's all surnames to use that's a that's a great point and you can see as well you know there's some characters that are warmer with other ones and some that aren't and it's really interesting to see that executed so well yeah. And I think we need to remember as well that the characters have just woken up after nine months, mm. like sleeping or however long it is. I don't know, I can't yeah. remember. But like you're going to be grouchy, you know? And then, yeah. uh, and that's why like, all the characters are relatable because, like, if you've just imagine, like, you're, you're a boss and you wake up and the first thing one of your co workers says to you is, uh, Can I get my bonus? <laughs> like, can I at least get my coffee first or get out of my bed properly or, you know, things like that? So that that's, makes it natural too. Yeah. You know, there's lo- there's loads of little things that goes on as well. You know, is you know, like the moaning about the crappy food and the crappy coffee, and yeah, because you know, it's all been in storage for all that time, and it's probably mm-hmm. all freeze dried, and you know, and they're all sitting. You know, in fact, Parker sort of actually makes the point. He says, "What are you going to do when you get home?" He says, mm-hmm. first thing I'm going to do is get some decent food." No, oh, sorry, it's uh, yeah, Hammett says that, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it's just little things like that. You know, when when you get your sort of, you sit and watch a normal sci-fi movie in a sense, it's all, get to, get to the next bit, get to the next bit. You know, when they, they let it flow and they let it, you know, and they let the, they let the characters be the characters. And, we, and so we start to, we start to relate to them and like them or dislike them depending, you know, mm-hmm. and, you, and it's like you're, you're in there with it. Yeah. You know? And just the performances and the characters, I related to every single one of them in some form. I think we're all those people at any point in our lives, you know. Yeah. I was gonna say, like, <laughs> I don't, I don't actually mean this as a joke, but it might come across as it. I don't think animal actors get enough credit. Oh my goodness! But honestly, though, like when you think about <laughs> the performance the cat gave, because apparently. 
um, when the alien appears for the first time when it's behind Brett and the cat hisses like it, it, it's amazing how people can get animals to do these things it was a German shepherd they put in front of an eye because there was a screen between them but even in that you know like getting I mean I feel like with a dog you would have a bit more kind of give on like getting a dog to hit its mark and go to this place and do this and yep. that with a cat they're precarious wee bastards and they don't like to do what they're told so the fact that you know you were they were able to get a cat to do this that and the next thing i thought it was really really well done and it's also really nice like the relationship that they all have with the cat and like they they all like the cat they all everybody loves jonesy yeah they go and try to find him they go and try to save Mm -hmm. him even though there's something terrifying well ripley goes back for the cat yeah yeah Yeah. when the the self-destruct is hit ripley goes back for the cat yeah my third point is about the alien itself. I think one of the best executed monsters, villains, whatever you would like to call it, in movie history. I think it has everything. Like, and I love the fact that you, like you said, Stevie, you, there's only like a few moments where you see it in its full standing, and I love that they did it like that because it just makes it even more terrifying. And I love that it was also. A practical effect it wasn't there was no cgi or anything like that they had so his name was um balaji badejo it was because peter mayhew who was chewbacca was considered for it but he didn't give the kind of like animalistic performance that yeah um, i believe he was screen tested yeah because they brought him they brought him onto the set yeah um yeah. and they i think they had i think they put him in the suit um or yeah, they i can't remember I, I can't remember if they did or not. Yeah, because they, they did. They definitely screen test him and they said he didn't have the animalistic quality of moving mm-hmm. because obviously Chewbacca does still move very much like a human does. Yes. Um, but what's his name? Peter Archer, who was the casting agent for it, was in a London pub and found uh, Balaji yeah, Badejo. And he was six foot ten and thin, but like his arms and his legs were really long. His torso wasn't that long. Um, and he was like a little, like you've just <laughs> signified, like a little scalp. And he, his performance, and this is something as well, I don't think there's enough recognition for costume performers. Definitely. The Scare Scotland stuff, we do a lot of costume performances. It needs a special type of person to be able to do it. Apparently he did a lot of, he did Tai Chi training. He did a lot of choreography because um, they brought in like basketball players, dancers, gymnasts, all these kind of people that had like flexibility and and like were in touch with like movement kind of um, aspects of of like life and career and things. But he worked for the role, and there's a lot of comment from um, people that were on the set saying he was incredible to work with. Like no ego and just like there was the switch between. The alien and Balaji, like he, when the switch came, he was terrifying. There's a lot of you know you you you, you sort of got all the extras on Blu-rays and all that now. There's there's actually test footage of him on it, mm-hmm. and they're using a sort of mock-up suit because I don't think Giga had finished the actual suit yet. So they had a sort of a mock-up, and then they had him walking up and down some of the corridors, just moving as the creature, and you can see the development of him. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see there was a lot of a lot of work put into the guy. You know, to 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 bring out the best in him. Yeah. And it, and what was nice about it is, as you see, they let him be creative with it. It wasn't 
just this is what you're going to do, you know, like put some put some of you in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because my understanding is for the, for the folk that met him, he, he was quite an awkward person. He, mm-hmm. he was quite a very shy man, you know. And he sadly, he's, he he tragically died of a blood disease, I believe. And um, you know, he was a very naturally shy man, and they 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 used that in the creature, and they let him use it. Because he brought an he, he brought an innocence to the creature as well. As much as that creature is deadly. Mm-hmm. You know, he brought that innocence out in it because it's a child. Well, it's that whole last bit where it's kind of stuck just before mm. she kills it. Yeah. You know, and it's screaming, it, yeah. Yeah. Although we as humans perceive it as a hunter, is it actually hunting or is it like kind of fighting for survival in its its mind? You know, because well, I was doing the road. It was. It, it just didn't know any better. It just. Mm-hmm. It was just wanting to survive. Like any. Because it any hides. It would, hides. You know, and it's just that is its nature to. It, it, is is that's its nature to do that. You mm-hmm. know, just as it's our nature to to eat, be there. You know, protect your family. Duh, 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 you know. Well, supposedly as well, that scene at the end, um, where it's in the the launch ship with Ripley. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pod supposedly it doesn't really move that much I don't know if you've noticed that like it's kind of like it's very slow and supposedly the the original idea that never really made it into the final film was that it it's done its job and it's it, and it's dying so ah. that's why it's not really that it's not going after her that much you know because I thought it was stuck I didn't realise like that's the kind well, of I think it's kind of the idea it's like see like people say like you're when a dog's dying it goes into the corner to like yeah. And I think it's kind of that animal thing where it's a way to like go and perish, basically. Mm-hmm. Which I kind of like that idea now because yeah. even if you take that into the whole alien lore now with the queen, you know, because it doesn't know anything else. Like if you think about it, the queen lays the eggs, the face huggers come out, uh, they latch on, they let out another egg. One of those, sorry, they let out another alien. One of those aliens will be a queen, and it starts again. So once, once these other aliens have kidnapped the people and stuck them to the walls, they've done their job, and if you look at the director's cut, it's took Dallas, it's took um, it Brett, Brett as well, stuck them to the walls, and now it's a way to go and find somewhere to perish, and I kind of, something sad about it in a way as well. Mm. Well, there's the other side of that as well, you know, that I, I get doing the, the sort of route, 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 the route <laughs> that it is dying, but there, there is some other fans out there that's going to, who say that it's actually going into hibernation. Yeah. Mm. And I think the, the great thing about this in general is, like, we don't know, and I hope it's never really explained, because the less you know, it's what made, it's what used to make Michael Myers scary, is that we, mm. we didn't know the why, it was just the fear of him, which was a great thing, rather than knowing the whole kind of backstory of it, it can, it can sometimes take away. I can't think of a better alien in relation to learning, like, its life cycle. Even just from the first one alone, like, how they come up with that, like, we're going to get an egg, it's going to then let out a creature that's going to attack the human, put something in his chest or her chest, then it's going to come out of there, and then it's another alien. So it's like two for the price of one, if, if that makes sense. Then you take it further with the aliens, with the queen. Like, there's not really been anything else as, like, thought about as much of that, I don't think, in the history of, like, like species and, and things like that. I think it's, I think it's great yeah. to get a full life cycle of how this, this whole idea mm-hmm. um, works, yeah. The design of it as well, like I love the fact that they could they could have gone for something 
small and deadly, like the face hugger, mm-hmm. that would have probably been a bit more terrifying in ways because it could fit into tiny little spaces and it could literally be anywhere. I love that it is this massive, but not like bulky, like it's it's massive, it's thin, like the tail and everything, like it just, it, it looks terrifying and and it is that whole thing of like when you see it towering above Lambert you really kind of it 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 gives you the moment of like fuck this thing is actually really really scary because I don't something we haven't touched on actually and just it wasn't originally called Alien it was originally called Star Beast yeah (laughs) really um, yeah and uh, yeah because it still had its B-movie stuff then Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and there was a few sort of designs, and again, they're they're in books and stuff like that, and some of the designs are, like, oh, goodness sake, you know, and you can, and you're like, oh, thank God they didn't use that, you know, and Ridley Scott sort of st- was handed a book, um, called Necronomicon, mm-hmm. and it was full of H.R. Giger's art, and because they were they were like, given all these designs of these shitty looking creatures, you know, and Giger's art, fucking terrible, you know, and they were flipping through it. And then he went, "What's that?" And he, he and you saw the sort of the penis shaped head, you know, and the thing yeah. in the throat. And he went, "That's the creature there." And and then Giger was contacted and and sort of went, "Can you physically make that thing?" Yeah, why not? You know. Mm-hmm. So, so he, they got another guy called Rimbaldi who'd sort of done various things. He made a few practical heads and stuff like that. Yeah. And then they finally brought Giger in to. To build the build they built they built a sort of art studio on the set mm. for him. They did a statue of the alien before they created the costume yeah. as well. Yeah, and there, was, then... there was one that was also see through. Yeah, yeah. And, because um, the, originally, to, yeah, and they they were mess, they, they kept the sort of shape that they had once Giger was on board, but they tried very made make it transparent, you know, mm. and you know they tried various sort of shades, and then they found that sort of weird shade of black green. Great. It's on a, almost like onyx, isn't it? It's yeah, not, it's it, not like black or like a no, really, really it dark. It changes blues. color. You can see it sort of as it moves. You can sort of see it because it, it changes to its back background. But yeah, the creature is in the design of the creature is just mind blowing. Even what we've been saying about how the alien looks moist and gooey and yucky. Like I, I think it's so interesting how sensory of a character it is because we're all human and we know like what, what what skin feels like we know what you know like is to breathe air and like what our hair feels like and stuff like that but the way that they execute the costume and the dressing of the costume to really allow a human and an audience member to go I can almost imagine what that thing feels like and yeah. you know like probably smells like but <laughs> you know what i mean like that kind of you can you can almost it's tangible almost yeah i've never yeah yeah you can and again they didn't let the cast see it until it till it was finished yeah which so, again so, so their reaction to it, it was even... you know again go back to the chest buster thing the natural reactions of the blood splatter and whatever mm. and then that thing walks out and you're like holy fucking god you know it must have been an absolute treat for an actor though like to experience all that and that's it um i'll just check have, have you have you got a specific third point stevie or are you is that like kind of your third point that we were discussing 
I think I've made them all. <laughs> no, fair. I just wanted to check so that I'm not jumping the gun. Um, but does anybody have any other kind of little points that they'd like to discuss? Um, we'll do it quickly because I, I see we're running out of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what I'll, I'll ask the both of you is because it's the question it's always asked, right? Mm-hmm. Nicola, what's better, alien or aliens? Alien. Alien. Okay, Stevie, alien or aliens? Oh, quickly. Yep. Uh, I'm going to bottle out See, I love them both. Uh, <laughs> what about you, Gary? What I would you? say, well, I'm going to push slightly to aliens only because when I put on the first one and it finishes, I get really excited to watch the second one. <laughs> Do you know if they're bad? They so are, excited to make me sneeze. <laughs> um, for me, they're both um, five, uh, five out of five. Um, we put it out to listeners as well, and Andrew Grayson says that Alien is dated. How do you feel about that? Is it dated? I've, I've already pulled him up on it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the movie, I think the, the, maybe some of the attitudes are. Mm. Well, maybe. Because you know, there's, there's maybe some things, you know, but it, it, that script is all of its time, so I think we can forgive that. Yeah, I think it just means it looks dated, but I don't agree with that at all. I don't think it looks dated, but no, I I think they got that right. I think it's, I don't think it looks dated at all. I think it it still stands. It said to me that he, he meant like it it wasn't, like it wasn't scary anymore. It didn't kind of keep up with like today's kind of horrors and stuff like that. But I, I I think he doesn't understand it then. (laughs) Maybe. I disagreed with him. I, I, I don't think it's dated. I think it still holds up today, and it's still a very plausible yeah. and very good film. The last, the last thing I will say on it as well is, um, and it's not a nitpick because I think the performance is great. The character Lambert annoys me, not because there's anything written wrong with her, yeah. but she's just. She's she's the weepy of the group. Yeah, yeah, she's the, the wee wet lettuce. Yeah, she's the wet. Yep, yeah, she's the wet lettuce. See that bit where Parker's got the flamethrower yeah. on on the xenomorph, and he's like, "Move!" And she's like, "I can't." I'm like, "You can." Just, Just do it. But I guess yeah. it's the whole fear. Like we we learn it like from like just our point of view. But I guess if a big ten foot alien stand in front of you, that <laughs> might put the fear of God into you. And you don't move. You just panic and freeze. Yeah, I yeah. I actually enjoy her the more I watch it, but um yeah that's that's my last wee note there. I wonder if it would, I, I know we're conscious of time, but if it would be the same if it was a guy playing the character instead of a, a woman, if you I would th- have the same feeling. I I think I would. I I, I think I would actually, and if I'd watched it when it came out, I think I'd have it and be even more annoyed because the guys back then were supposed to be the macho guys, you know, like back mm-hmm. in the 70s. So I, th- I think I would, but it's interesting because they were genderless. I just mean, like, do you think you would give more weight to it because, like you've said, like, guys were meant to be macho and stuff like that and this particular scenario, also, they are petrified and frozen. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Maybe just add a little something into yeah. her yeah. character. It's something it. they, they, they explored in Aliens. In the boardroom scene, you know, when they're sitting, when mm-hmm. Ripley's talking about what happened on the Nostromo and you see all the sort of pictures of the crew coming out. Yeah. Well, it turns out that uh, she was actually trans. Oh, really? Oh, yes. It was, yeah, there was, there's a there's a line in it with, um, it, it was a uh, gender reassignment. Oh, that's really so, interesting, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, and for uh, its time as well, for its time. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, you know, that was 85 Aliens to shot, you know? Yeah. So, 
That's cool. That is cool. Glad you, really glad you brought that up. Yeah. I love that. I really do. Um, but just before we take a little break, has anybody's final ratings changed? Nope. No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, nah. no, no. A straight five. No need to change any minds this time. But yes, let's, we will take a little break. And when we come back, we will have the quiz and our creative recommendations. Dallas, you're going to have to hold your position for a minute. I have lost the signal. What? You sure? Look, look around. Are you sure that it's not there? I mean, it's got to be around there somewhere. Check that out, Lambert. You may be getting interference. Dallas, are you sure there is no sign of it? I mean, it is there. It's got to be around there. Dallas? Alright. Uh, am I, am I Claire Lambert? I want to get the hell out of here. Oh god, it's moving right towards you. Uh... And we're back for our quick fire quiz round where Gary and I will ask Stevie five questions each based on the film. And oh. it's cool, Stevie. It's just for fun, man. I'm sure you will get 10 out of 10. Yes, I will kick us off. What is the species of the alien? Xenomorph. Yep. Uh, which artist designed the alien? H.R. Giga. Yep. What is the name of the planet they land on? LV426. Oh, yeah. Uh, what happens when the facehugger removes itself from the host? He wakes up. Oh, it died. It dies, yep, yep. What was the film's tagline? In space, no one can hear you scream. Yeah. After Kane, who dies next? Oh, eh... Uh... Oh, I've forgotten, eh, uh, Parker. No! Uh, no, I've forgotten. Dallas. Dallas! <laughs> <laughs> what does Ash try to kill Ripley with? A porn mag. <laughs> <laughs> um, how many hours of observation should there have been before Kane was allowed back on the ship? Uh, eight. 24. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> and my last question, what's the cat's name? Jonesy. Yep. Okay, and my last question... Including the two crossovers, how many alien films are there? Six. No. No. Oh. Nine. I, I've got eight. What's your nine? Fan, it's a fan film. Oh, right. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll give okay. you that. Okay. Eight. <laughs> eight. <laughs> I lost count there. Um. Hey, the AVP ones don't count. They're shit. They are, they are, they are terrible. Yes, they are terrible. We'll give you uh, an eight out of ten for that, man. To round off, uh, we shall now give our creative recommendations. So, Gary, would you like to kick us off? My creative recommendation fits right in, and it's something to read, and it's the unproduced Alien Free script. Now, I'm also by William Gibson, 
And Stevie actually took it to stage at one point as well. Is that right? It wasn't that one. Well, there's been there's been plenty of them though. But... Yeah. <laughs> so what one was yours? I did the Vincent Ward one. That's right, the one more with the monks, wasn't it? Wooden Planet, and the, and we are bringing it back. So, oh. can you say more about it, Stevie? You want to know a bit more about it? Or is yeah. it yeah. Well, so people can look out for it, you know? Well, we're looking at bringing it back. We I always thought there was a cracking story in there, and uh, it started off as a silly table read that sort of grew arms and legs. And uh, it eventually turned into a stage show, which turned out to be really well done. And we're, we're <laughs> I'm going to say that I directed it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I was really pleased with it. It got sort of nice positive feedback. And we're looking for it. It's a story that needs to be told. And it's certainly a very, very different take on the alien genre. The alien is actually secondary in it. All right. It's about sacrifice. It's about friendship. It's about spirituality. You know, a lot of things that, are, that didn't get covered, that has never been covered in the Alien franchise. And mm-hmm. I can see why it wasn't made. Yeah. But uh, I think it's too great a story it's not to, to, to be told. Well, the William Gibson one I thought was utter rubbish. But right. I, I thought it was all right. I thought it was all right. So I, I put that <laughs> in. But I'll, if you can find me the other one, Stevie, as well, then yeah, I'll it's stick online. You can just. Okay, I'll look for that one. I'll put both of them in the show notes then. Yeah, two for the price of one. We're 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 hoping to bring it back next year at some point. Cool. No, that sounds great. And I went and seen the one he's did at Webster's. Was it Webster's? Was it Webster's? Yeah. Yeah, and I enjoyed that. Well, thank you. Yeah, Stevie, have you got a creative recommendation for us? Go and read the Vincent Ward script. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Another thing I would like to look at. I would like you to look at the. It's a documentary actually Mm -hmm. about alien called Wreckage and Rage. Where can where can people find that? You'll find it on the Blu-ray, and it's uh, it, it's actually about Alien Three mostly, mm-hmm. but it, it, a lot of it because historically there's Alien and Aliens, so and it tells you how the, how that sort of all came about. And if you ever want a lesson in how not to make a movie, watch watch Wreckage and Rage, and there's a, there's an amazing history of the Alien franchise in there, mm-hmm. and uh, and the direction it ended up taking, and the sort of not to sound negative, the sort of politicking that can go on mm-hmm. in a big franchise like that, which is can can make a lot of money, and how something so iconic can become so painful. Just on on that note, Stevie, um, I'm going to ask you to spitball really fast for me here, right? Um, out of five, Alien Three, what'd you give it? Five, five. Mm. Alien, Alien Resurrection. Oh, I'd give it a four. I'd give, I'd give Alien 3 a 4. Alien Resurrection? What? Alien. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like it. I would give it... So I do would, I. I would give it... I would give it... I'd give it three and a half. I I'll think there's some that, interesting... Yeah, yeah, I'd give it a three. There's a, it's... I like they the, the wrong, kind of... They, they had the wrong director. Yes. Yeah. I, I also really liked, though, the whole human hybrid alien in it. I thought they were trying yeah. some interesting stuff there as yeah, well. That, that was a recycled idea as well. So that was supposed yeah. to be Alien 3. Prometheus? Uh, out of five, two. I knew yep. you were going to say that. Yep. <laughs> I'd go, I'd go two and a half, and Alien Covenant. I'd probably do three. I'd give Alien Covenant a three and a half. I quite enjoyed it. That's yeah. a sort of against the grain a little bit. Nicola, what Covenant or Covenant and Prometheus? I've not seen Covenant, so I shan't comment. Okay, Prometheus. Oh yeah, mm, I'll give Prometheus a three because I think a lot of the acting's very good. Like. Numi Repass is a 
phenomenal actress and I think she did very, very well with what she yeah. had. Yeah. I would like to review Prefuse on the podcast at some point, so I won't go into it too much. But one thing I know. episode. Oh, maybe, yeah. It sounds like a plan. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Cool. So my creative recommendation is uh, an audio drama series called The Tower. It's by Tin Can Audio and it can be found on Spotify. It's an incredible um, audio drama. It's got three seasons um, and I'll read a little synopsis. A young woman leaves behind her isolated, suffocating existence to climb the tower, an abandoned relic of a forgotten age, built by a proud king who wanted to rule the sky as well as the land. It stretches up into the sky through the smog. It's really, really good. Like A lot of Scottish um, voice actors in it, and it's it's really wonderful. And uh, David Devereaux, um, the creator, is... They're a genius and their editing is is beautiful. And it's also got um like each season has a, a soundtrack that I think Dev's released on Spotify as well. Um awesome. so definitely check it out. They, they really are, they're they're so talented. It's a good listen, definitely. Thank you so much, Stevie. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on and well, thank you so much for having me and let me talk about my favourite movies. <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah. such a good film and such such a wonderful you, you, you let me geek out it. big time. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, usually when I, I start the alien movies, I just see my friend's eyes rolling going, oh, mm-hmm. here he goes again. No, no, <laughs> no, no, um, but can you let our listeners know where they can find you on social media so they can keep up to date with everything you're doing and yeah, that Scare Scotland's doing? Facebook, just look us up, Scare Scotland Talent. Twitter, Scare Scotland Talent. Uh, Instagram, the same www.scarescotland.co.uk and you go into that you'll find out all this silly stuff that we get up to (laughs) and Stevie um, if anybody wants to look into joining Scare Scotland will they just do that through the website or yeah just just send us a message we're very informal when it comes to that Um, just send us a message tell us what you can do we're always looking for people with unique skills that filmmakers can make and we can harness that and bring it all together in one one sort of space. Nice. Um, yeah, just drop us a message, tell us what you can do, and we'll have a chat. That's how it works. Sounds good. I am Nicola, and you can follow me at Nick underscore Doherty on Twitter and just underscore another underscore shorty21 on Instagram. And I'm still Gary, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at HewittGPro. And if you're loving what you're hearing, please subscribe and share what we're doing. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, remember to rate and review the podcast. And you can also leave your comments on our Facebook group, Choose Film Podcast, because we're going to continue with uh, reading them out during episodes. And you can follow the podcast at Film Choose on Twitter and Choose Film Podcast on Instagram. You've been listening to Choose Film Podcast and join us next week where we will be talking about Submarine. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. 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 I don't know why I waved. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Thank you, Stephen. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Bye.